Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting radiolemon.com. Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome along to a special edition of Midweek Motorsport. It's midday motorsport, effectively, over there in the UK. One o'clock in the afternoon here at the Circuit de la Sarte. We are here for Le Mans, of course. Uh, so that means things are a little different this week. But hello to Mickey Heth as we do a little bit of our usual housekeeping at the top of the show. I just got uh, the kettle on and uh, has uh, tweeted through to uh, at Specutainment. Uh, whatever you're doing this week, whichever one of our uh, accounts you're sending to, uh, at Radio Le Mans the best one this week, but I appreciate we're in midweight motorsport. The hashtag is Mobile1RLM. Mobile1RLM. Hello to Spooner in Orange. No apologies for absence there. Uh, Pre-practice, dinner time, post-19. Currently working out uh, how to get a dress in time for my Le Mans Marshall inauguration ceremony on Friday. Oh dear, is it one of those? Uh, Simon Hoff is at North, in North Allerton, up in God's country in the northeast of England, not coming down. Uh, keep your messages of support coming to us uh, this week. It's good to know that you're here or you're not here. 91.2 FM around the circuit is Mobile One Ridge Le Mans for 2019. And we've been on the air since Sunday. Uh, with uh, a variety of music and feature programmes. Uh, we had a lot of fun uh, early on Sunday and the bank holiday Monday here with those who had turned up early. The campsites were open uh, since Sunday. It's a wet afternoon here and uh, likely to be getting uh, even wetter as the afternoon progresses. Full coverage to come of all of the track sessions for the Le Mans 24 hours and we'll have exclusive live commentary of Road to Le Mans on Thursday with the only broadcaster covering that live uh, and then the race on Saturday as well. Uh, as I said, slightly different format to Midweek Motorsport this week because first of all it's midday and secondly we're in France and that means we're not going to go for our top story first, we're going to go for our big interview first and welcome back to the show to Cyril Teshvelen from the Asian Le Mans series. Cyril, Great to see you and not just hear you. How are you? I'm very good. Good uh, afternoon, John. Good afternoon. Uh, and great to have your company here with us. Um, how important is it for you as the man at the head of the Asian Le Mans series to be here at Le Mans, the jewel in the ACL crown? It's a huge pleasure, of course, as a professional, but as a fan as well, you know, uh, Le Mans 24 is the greatest endurance race in the world. So even if I'm here to work, I, I'm enjoying it 100% as every year. So that's the first thing to to say, I guess. But of course, uh, going back to square one, which is uh, discussing about the growth and the, the coming season for Asian Le Mans 2019-2021. Um, we're here to, with a big part of the Asian Le Mans staff, mm. which... Uh, has made the trip 
uh, from Singapore, from the UK, from Portugal, from Malaysia. We can discuss about the Asian Amal team later on in mm. the interview and you will see it's a very, very international and very dedicated team. It's, it's not a huge team though, Cyril, and they work very hard indeed to deliver the kind of growth that you've seen over the last few years in the Asian Le Mans series. It's, uh, it's not a big team, but um, it's a great team. They do great work. You don't do things alone anyway. So um, I'm lucky enough to uh, be surrounded by this team, which is working so hard, helping us all together to create and put together this platform for our teams, drivers and partners who are very much interested in, in seeing the growth of the Asian Mall Series, which is for the ACO, the third pillar of the endurance racing pyramid. It, this is something we are on, on a mission with. And, of course, the Asian Le Mans Series was the first of the SEO Championships to go to what I call the school year, or the soccer year, if you will, starting at the end of, of one calendar year and moving through into the others. Have you been able to um, help uh, and the WEC guys and, and give them some advice over what to expect to having your season spread over two calendar years? Oh, you, you know, when ACO, uh, when the ACO took over uh, the uh, Asian Amor series from the previous management, the first decision we made was to move the calendar to the winter to um, benefit from, you know, a better space, even if it's a quite a tiny window starting in October, finishing in February. But we thought it would be uh, a nice move. And at the end of the day, it's something which is working and, and we are building and growing on that basis. The, the reason why WEC has become uh, not a winter series but a, a, a series over, spread over two, two years is because um, for a long time they wanted to finish uh, the championship in Le Mans. So mm -hmm. Hence the, the decision they eventually managed to, to, to make 18 months ago. The, the growth of the Asian Le Mans series as a as the third pillar, I like the way you described that, of the ACO Championship, ha, has been very important for not just the series itself, but the teams to be able to show what they can do into Europol, for example, who have qualified through to Le Mans by winning the championship. They're here yeah. this year for the yeah. first time and, and loving it as well. I was talking to them earlier on in the week. I'm very happy. You know, the, all these, these new teams, either from Euro or from Asia because we need to attract more Asian teams because the mission is of course to grow and develop the ACO racing environment in Asia Pacific which is a huge geographical zone and um, also to make sure that we develop LMP racing, LMP3, LMP2 in the region and to see this growing interest from Asian teams in both GT and LMP but also to see and welcome American drivers, European drivers and teams to join us. Because at the end of the day, you realize that eventually all these teams, which are companies, which need to put together business cases, which are mm, good point. balanced, need to keep busy 12 months a year. And, and they find in, in Asian Le Mans um, everything they need for this, you know. So it's, um, we benefit actually from a calendar which perfectly fits with... Asian teams being busy during spring and summer doing sprint racing or GT racing, whatever, and the Europeans, the Americans, etc. So, and it's, uh, it's becoming a trend nowadays to, to see series moving over two years, you know, and becoming so-called winter series, which is not a bad thing at all, to the no. contrary. That means that as we sit here now, you've got the better part of five months before your first race. Now, I, I know that 
teams want to do their own announcements, so I don't expect any top-secret news to come out here, Cyril. But how are things looking for 19-20? to 20? Are you happy with the way things are, are looking for the, the series at the moment in terms of potential entries and people who are maybe just waiting for the right moment in their PR cycle to announce? Yeah, of course. Unfortunately, I would say we can't disclose any, uh, any news or any... any big news or scoop today and there will be some uh, but uh, we have to align with these teams communication and they're busy enough this 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 week either road to Le Mans or uh, with the, the Le Mans 24 the big one uh, so we are going to wait a little bit as you mentioned perfectly uh, the season starts in more than five months so we still have time but I would say that amongst those who have uh, already entered some have um, expressed publicly an interest in entering anyway so they may be I think Inter Europol have said they'll be back Yes, and, and that's not a secret. I'm not breaking any confidences no, there. That's not a they secret. will defend their championship with at least one car. Yes, or two. Oof. Excellent. As you say, when it comes to go to the pub to have a beer. Yeah, <laughs> just the odd one or just the odd one or two. It's an extremely important season for you, 1920. Um, not least because you have a new venue to go to. Yeah, uh, of course. ACO Rules Racing returns to Australia and to a brand new venue, pretty much. Exciting. Um, 20 years ago, uh, Don Panos organized the last run of the uh, 2000 uh, American Le Mans Series season, the race of a thousand years. Mm -hmm. I wasn't there, but Vincent Bumin, the ACO sport director, was there at the time he was uh, working for Dams. Mm -hmm. uh, an Audi Air 8 won with a lizard decoration. Correct. Uh, if I recall well. And, um, and it will be the first time there will be a an, an directly ACO organized event in Australia. And it's the second uh, longest track in the world, 7.7 kilometers. So for, for us, it's fantastic. And this is a bend, by the way, for those that don't know. Yeah, 100 kilometers off Adelaide. Fantastic facility. Um, I mean, Right in the middle of wine country. What could be better? Off Murray Bridge, for those who know the place. And uh, we can't wait. I mean, we're very, very excited. Um, some of the uh, Asian Mall staff are from Australia, as you may know, mm -hmm. and um, they are even more excited than us. But no, it's going to be great, and I think it's contributing towards the appeal of the 2019-2020 season anyway, uh, not even mentioning the fact that we are going to uh, have a half-night race in Sepang, which is also something new for the calendar. And we are already working uh, on the 2020-2021 calendar. Really? Hopefully we can announce it uh, by the end of the year or at the bend because we, we need to, to work ahead of time. You know, keep the momentum sure. going. Yeah, keep the momentum. Now, the, the amount of races is key, though, because what you can't do is spread people's resources too thinly. So are you at the right sort of am amount of races now with the calendar as it stands? Would you look to maybe add one more? What's, what's the feeling there from the competitors? Because it has to be driven from the competitors, doesn't it? Exactly. John? You, you mentioned previously that uh, for us it's going to be a very important year. And after ACO took over, we had the first five-year plan. First three years were to recover, gain confidence again, uh, give teams in the region, in, in Asia-Pacific, confidence again in the product, um, build, grow the grid in terms of uh, both quality and, and quantity. And then the, last, the next two years, last season and the coming one, would be the growth. Mm. Okay, and um, I would say that um, this is matching with what we have announced 18 months ago, which was aiming at moving for four to five events eventually. But this is something where we are going to to decide together with the teams whether they can afford or not to move for four to five events. Got it. If that's the case, then of course this will have an impact on the calendar, and we have 
because we run within that tiny window, which is for us now starting on the third week of November, and we, we have to finish at the end of February to find the logistic route, which is matching Very good. the best possible way to have this fifth round organized. That's why this coming season, the 2019-2021, we have these back-to-back events in just two weeks between Sepang, Malaysia, and Buram, Thailand. It, it would be the only way for us to make sure that we can add this fifth event. And now that we have found a way with our logistic company to do trucking between ah. Malaysia and, and Thailand, we're going to experiment that. And it, and with a view to see whether this is something we can replicate for the year after, Got with a view to maybe moving for four to five events. Sounds great. You excited? We are very much excited. When I look at the, uh, the Le Mans 24 entry list and I see all these names, all these drivers, the likes of uh, Anders Fortbach, Paul Diresta, uh, Phil Hanson, Pizzitola, Hoping Tung, Stefan Riquelme, Gabriel Aubry, Pierre Guidi, Calado. I mean, all these drivers have competed in, in the Asian Le Mans series and Phil Hanson is one of the best examples we can, we can discuss about. Phil joined Asian Le Mans for the first time in P3. He was awarded the Rookie of the Year award and uh, he won the championship in LMP3 with Nigel Moore. Mm. Um, step up the ladder and um, join us again with the United Euro Sport and uh, Paul DiResta and, uh, and they won the P2 class. And um, he's um, on his way for a WC campaign with uh, DiResta. So it's exactly what we are here for. It's multiple tasks, I would say. It's uh, implementing this uh, ACO platform in Asia-Pacific. It's developing the type of endurance racing we, we do with the professionalism and the ACO sporting regulations and, and, and the frame, you know, and mm -hmm. having Eduardo Freitas as the race director is something which, which is very important for us. And it's, it's something which is very comfortable for the European drivers or uh, European teams joining us in Asia because they feel comfortable within an, an an environment they are very comfortable with and they know mm. and um, we also need to attract these asia pacific teams to join the, the platform to grow and to do better things like clearwater they won uh, two years ago or three years ago they won the gt the gt class and they, they decided they, they went to le mans they finished very well and they decided to uh, to go to the wc yeah absolutely so this is these kind of nice stories uh, that we have and we we're, we're very happy to to enjoy and live with them. Now, listen, course. I know you've got a meeting to go to, Cyril, so thank you very much for spending some of your time with us here thank on our special Midweek Motorsport. Good to see you again. It's Good luck. Pleasure. Thank you, John. And thank all the team for us as well, because we love watching the racing. I know it's been a big, big effort to get everything together, and you've done a super job. Well done. Yeah, thank you. Stay tuned for the for the news to come in the in the coming days and weeks. See you later. Cyril Tashvelen, who uh, is joining us before he heads off to a meeting. Uh, when people have something to say in the sports car paddocks around the world, they come and talk to Midweek Motorsport. Uh, and it's a special edition for you this week. Uh, series 14, episode 23, I think is correct. Cyril just finishing off his sacred coffee that uh, we have in the studio. Uh, and Nick Damon will join us now, which means it's time, Rob, back in London, for our top story. Play the news jingle, Rob, please. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. 
Uh, and there is only one story to talk about this week, uh, and that <laughs> is the Le Mans 24 Hours. Hello. Oh, yeah. Is yep. it, is it, yes, absolutely, 100%. All Northern European Formula Renault. In no, there'll be none of that. Don't <laughs> worry. Actually, we are going to do a little bit of uh, Formula One. Let's, Hooray! In Le Mans. Let's get, let's get it out of the way, because uh, it was in a super weekend for English sport at the weekend. The Lionesses won. Uh, we won the third-place playoff. Um, uh, and for the first time in a long time, uh, uh, there was an English victory on penalties. And I'm not talking about the football. <laughs> yes, right. well done. You've been planning that one for a while, haven't you? Uh, yes, it was all about the Canadian Grand Prix and all about the penalty that was given to Sebastian Vettel. Right, we'll come to that in a minute. Let's rewind back, first of all, uh, and talk about how we got in, in the situation. Um, not a stellar... Weekend for Mercedes, nope. for, for Lewis or well, Mercedes, Valtteri. Mercedes as whole, but they had an engine go bang on uh, mm. Lance Stroll's car. In they bought their new engines out because it's a, they're on the standard seven race cycle. And it was race, um, and obviously uh, Canada is power hungry. So they bought the new engines out. They had a few little issues with them. They had a, a hydraulic leak on um, uh, Lewis's car. And they did feel that going into this race, this was a track with lots of long straights and less corners that would favour the Ferraris anyway. And so it turned out to be in qualifying, um, when certainly a, a very, very good qualifying lap by Sebastian Vettel stuck him at the front of the grid. Um, a selection of errors put um, Valtteri down in sixth, and Kevin Magnussen whacking the wall uh, knocked um, Max Verstappen down to about 10th or 11th before other people got put back for various reasons, So because they, they stopped the second session right at the end because there were bits of car everywhere. Which apparently is not a good thing to qualify on. No, apparently not. The race itself basically boiled down to not being able to pass on straight circuits, even when you've got DRS. Well, it basically boiled down to the fact that the straight line speed of the Ferrari is phenomenal. And if you are only going to get past something that's got phenomenal straight line speed on a track where you can only really pass them on the straight line speed bit, even if you had a, you know, the, the world's biggest DRS, you're having an issue. In fact, the car's really quick to begin with. The DRS is kind of bringing you up to their speed. So... Um, yeah, so the Ferraris went away. Um, he kind of edged back again with Lewis, uh, got a bit closer and closer and closer, and he put some mild pressure <laughs> on Sebastian Vettel, and Sebastian Vettel, oh, surprise, surprise, cracked. He was on very old tyres. And, and no, he wasn't. No, he was two laps older than Lewis's. No, well, they were very old, according need, to the radio they messages. They needed 22 more laps before, otherwise he'd have been another stop. No, he made a mistake because his head's gone. But How, he got away with it. Not quite. He did try and he, he managed to fall off the track, get back on the track, and in regaining the track, he did seriously impede Lewis Hamilton. Doesn't matter, that's a fact. He seriously impeded Lewis Hamilton, whether you think that's fine or not, whatever you want to say. The fact was Hamilton was, was driven out the side by the wall and had to brake heavily to avoid an accident. That happened. Mm. Um, Again, an advantage by not slowing down properly for the corner, right? <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm sure he's it. But so, and then we had the situation where the penalty was uh, adjudged. And the penalty was given, and we can discuss the pluses and minuses of that. But effectively, the uh, stewards had to give the penalty based on three stewards, by the way, not just Emmanuele uh, Pirro. Uh, I don't know why everybody's ire has descended uh, on Emmanuele because he's an Italian. They thought we must favour Ferrari. The fact was, they made the stewards made the absolutely 100% correct decision based on the rules as they are written. If you don't like the rules, change, change the, the rules. rules. But if you don't, but you are playing those, you know, we can't suddenly decide halfway through a football match we don't like off side anymore you have to change the, the, the they but they were and they they the exactly the same thing was applied to max Stappen in japan last year he gained an advantage he, he basically ran lewis off the road 
and in the current state of the rules, that is a penalty. Now, I've seen some videos in 2016 of apparently Lewis doing the same thing. A, it's not the same thing when he was down in the uh, hairpin, sorry, the, the chicane at Monaco, as he'd already actually gained control of the car when the overtaking was supposed to happen. Also, it's 2016. Otherwise, what are we going to do? Start going, oh, look at Renny new and, and Jill Villeneuve. Okay, tell you what, let's put catch fencing up and have two drivers die a year as well. Sport moves on. These are the rules. If you don't like the rules, change the rules. And, it's, and the fact was, he got a five-second penalty personally. Personally, I think that's fine. Because the fact is, the underlying fact is, Fettel made another mistake. And therefore, he was... And, and because he wasn't far enough away to make the mistake and get away with it, if you're 20 seconds ahead, you can go for a, a, a boat around the lake if you want to and still be in the lead. He was under pressure, made a mistake, and effectively would have been able to take it on a normal circuit because it's street circuit. He wasn't, but in fact, he, he ran him off the track. Now, let's, before we get to Fettel's performance post that situation, at the end of the race, we then had Ferrari saying they were going to appeal. Well, five-second penalties of the race are unappealable. And more importantly... You can't, even, the, even if everyone decided it was the worst five-second penalty ever, how can you appeal it? Because what happened once the five-second penalty was awarded, which is unappealable, is Mercedes said... No, you don't have to pass him. Yeah, we've got to pass him. Mm -hmm. So, therefore, that changed the whole... So you can't then appeal that, because then Mercedes could appeal saying we were working on... You know, it'd be in a, a loop of appeals the rest of your life. Also, if it's a multiple-stop race, you have to take the five-second penalty at your next pit stop. So we did not see everyone not taking any of the penalties. Everyone would appeal everything, because they hope of getting away with it, and the whole thing would be fast. So, again, these are the rules. Don't like the rules. Change the rules. Stewards apply the rules should be... Anyway, what we then have was the most petulant performance from the man who is universally petulant. And I'd, I'd like to show you Baku two years ago when he ran into Lewis, Sebastian Fettel. I read an article that said that when a narcissist knows he is wrong, he massively overreacts. And everyone said that that was a complete psychological example of Fettel just totally overreacting. Oh, I'm, I'm going to really mow on the radio. Then I'm going to park my car. Then I'm not going to go to the podium. And then he did go to the podium, though. Eventually. He was, he was frog marched there. And, uh, and then he moved the... Oh, I'm going to move the barriers around, the, um, the placards around. I can't say what I think of on air. But it's basically what a... Child. Yeah. I mean, grow up. You're 30-something. You've got two kids. You've had something go against you. Grow up. It was pathetic. And then we're going, oh, he did really well. And everyone else, on, and everybody else has been The only like, thing he did well about it was to say, it's not Hamilton's fault. You shouldn't be booing yeah, Hamilton. It wasn't Hamilton's fault. He was just, he was just there. He was, well, actually, it was Hamilton's fault. It was Hamilton pressurising the mistake. Well, yes. There and, then, and then you have all these people on... on He's not going to be at the end of the season these, now, is he? All these experts, if I'm like this. We're going next season. The experts going, oh, well, it's in my day. No, it's not your day. It's now. These are the rules. It's like, in your day, if you were, I don't know... Um, I don't know, uh, Bobby Charlton, you could pass back to the goalkeeper. We well, can't do that anymore. It's you not could tackle your people day. around the knees. Exactly. It, yeah, you could bundle the keeper in the goal. It's not, this is our day. This is now. This is 19. And then all the people on the internet going, oh, it's terrible. It's, it's the end of Formula One, apparently. It's the best thing that happened to Formula One in the world. Everybody's been talking about it since then. How many millions yes, of pounds exactly. of free publics they have? Oh, I'm never going to watch Formula One again. Can I just yes, add one are. thing to it? Because you and I don't disagree on this, which I think you were oh. expecting me to disagree. <laughs> 
Bradley would be a different uh, kettle of fish. Mm. So he, he doesn't think you need to but stay on the track. But he's in the 70s, isn't he? Yes, he's in 70s, Morty. I've got a microphone. Um, let's, let's bring Joe Bradley in on this, actually, very quickly. Oh, really? Do you really want No, but I can turn you down. Uh, you see, I can, I, can make, I can actually make you disappear. Right, I'll, I'll make this quick, right, because I completely and utterly disagree with everything you two have just said. What? That it wasn't against the rules? Do you agree it's 2019 first? Listen. Was it against the rules? Listen, listen to let this go, first. Right, you make it sound as though Vettel's off and on were two separate things. Vettel lost the back end, went across the grass, and it was still the momentum from that move that brought him back onto the track. It wasn't like he stopped, it wasn't like he stopped the momentum, checked the momentum and then pulled out onto the track. He was still gathering it all up on the track and then he came... From, a, from an oversteer to the left, he went to an oversteer to the right, still with the same momentum from entering the corner, the chicane, it was a right-left, and then he bounded back onto the track. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a choice, it was momentum that took him back onto the track into the path of Lewis Hamilton. And why did he do that in the first place? He made a, yeah, he made a mistake. And why, what was the mistake he made? He made a mistake. He went into the corner too fast. He, he went into the corner too, too fast. Yes. Why was he going However, into the corner too fast? I don't know what your point is. No, no, just answer the question. Well, why yeah, was he going he, into the corner too fast? Uh, because Lewis was putting him under pressure. Because he, he was trying to stay ahead of Lewis and denying, dying, denying yeah, but, him an overtaking manoeuvre. But to, to then dissect that situation and compartmentalise it to going off to coming back on, that was one. That that was the momentum from going into the corner too fast. Mm -hmm. Yes, the, he made a mistake, but then to penalise him from gathering, it's like that. Was the the pain. Like, I think the problem that Joe has about this more than anything else is the penalty was called, um, or for an unsafe rejoin, uh, and um, which I would have called it for gaining an advantage by going off the track. And Joe doesn't agree with that because he doesn't think he gained an advantage, but he's just admitted there that he did gain an advantage because he went into the corner too fast. Uh, also, immediately after the accident, Lewis, because he'd lost his momentum, dropped to three seconds behind. Mm. Long how before a penalty applied, so Lewis actually lost two and a half seconds because of him going off the track. So he did, he did gain an advantage. advantage. How did he gain an advantage? Because he basically, effectively, prevented... Hamilton's forward progress by virtually running off the track and causing him to break. No, but even before that, before that, Joe's, Joe's submission, I'm, I'm playing, I'm, I'm sort of taking both sides here. So Joe's submission is that him going off and coming back on again was one incident, not two separate incidents, which it, 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 I, I can understand that. I'm not saying I necessarily Did agree with it. Wait, 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 wait. But the whole point of him going off in the first place was because he went into the corner too fast to make sure that Hamilton couldn't overtake him. So in the very instance of him going off, what caused him to go off was him trying to gain an advantage on Hamilton, which he, his skill, his car, his tyres, whatever, weren't up to. So at that Disagree. point, the moment that he goes off and rejoins, Disagree. he's he's, he's, he's got an advantage. Dis disagree, and I'll tell you why I disagree. Because you've just made it sound as though Hamilton was at that point right on the Ferrari's gearbox. He wasn't. He was about two and a bit seconds back, maybe three, maybe even four. I'm not sure, but he wasn't. No, he wasn't. He was, he, was, he was six tenths of a second when they crossed the line on that lap. Well, they certainly weren't as they went into that right left because Lewis, uh, uh, he was already coming back onto the track 
Okay. Having gathered the car up when Lewis was coming out of the corner. And Lewis saw they an cut opportunity. The went to, yes, he cut the corner, but he he lost advantage of anything because the gap was what? Let's say, for argument's sake, six car lengths as they went into the corner. It was zero car lengths as they came out. No, the but, he, he, but hang on, but hang advantage? on. No, hang on. Okay. I, I, if that, let's, let's even if we accept that that's the case, but Hamilton pretty much had to stop. Yeah. Hamilton pretty much had to stop because Vettel was... Um, either out of control or deliberately, it doesn't matter, and it doesn't matter, and, and uh, nobody's necessarily suggesting that Vettel had enough mental wherewithal to do a Schumacher and block the track deliberately. It might have been, it might not. There's no way of proving that. But Hamilton had to stop. He was going through a fast corner, and he had to basically pull the car up. So whether or not you think Vettel got an advantage, do you accept that Hamilton was disadvantaged by that, Joe? No. So there was no well, disadvantage to, well, to Hamilton. Well, of course he was. This is not. We're not. We're not making. We're not making sponge cakes here. This well, is no, racing. hang on. No, this just answer racing. the question. And, so, and so you don't accept that Hamilton was disadvantaged by Vettel losing control of his car. Let's call it that. Uh, going off the track and going towards the I, wall. I, you were dissecting this. No, 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 no. I'm asking a very simple question. I've, I've accepted <laughs> your point that, that it's one. That going off and coming back on is one thing. I've, I've, I've conceded that you say that Hamilton, uh, that uh, Vettel didn't gain an advantage. So what I'm asking you is, was, was Hamilton well, or was he not disadvantaged? Well, the straightforward answer to that is, of course he was, because he had to back out. Penalty. That, but ah, reverence to Betsy. So. What we're, what we're saying here is, if I'm going to dive down your inside and you're going to slam the door, and I say, but I was going quicker than him, and I had to back off because he pulled in front of me, and I'm, you're going to get a penalty for that, are you? Okay. Joe, just one quick final thing. What, uh, what? what do you think I'm of uh, Fettel's performance after, after he got the penalty? Mate, I would not have got... I'd, <laughs> maybe I'm a narcissist <laughs> as well, because when I was watching, I was thinking, there's no way I would go to that podium now. I would shove that trophy somewhere where the sun doesn't shine. They could stick their podium where it, and, I, and then when he and then when he appeared, I, I was disappointed in him. I'm going to stand by your conviction. Now. You've been cheated. You've been wrong for that. For just being a bloody racing driver. Yeah, I was always with him all the way. He let me down by giving in the convention. Right. Okay. And that's enough of that. We'll be back with your. Uh, we've got Andy Marriott down in the uh, the pit lane uh, as well, and we'll get some. <laughs> uh, we'll get some news from the pit lane. But let's go through some of uh, our <laughs> housekeeping here. No, uh, no apologies for absence from Mickey Heth. We mentioned that earlier on. Uh, working from home and listening live, says Paul Parkin. One day I'll return to the home of speed. Hashtag Mobile One RLM. Final prep, Mike Perrin for the trip tomorrow. Tuned in and ready. Most wonderful time of the year. No, don't. Oh. Uh, Jake, who is GT. I was GTI, ready then. I know you were. <laughs> GTI Ginge. Hello uh, to John and the team. Currently uh, we're. Uh, waiting and watching a bike track day brands Ooh, damp. Bit, be damp yeah absolutely uh, Justin Henderson tuning in from his couch in Tennessee annual camp, an, my annual campsite in the living room uh, the games are afoot from official Le Mans who I think are down at Beau Sejour they look oh hang on a minute have they got the old Grand Prix game out there 
Is that what that is? Mm, oh, I think you want that. Is. That's a new Grand Prix new game. Oh, wow. An old Formula One game that's been brought up to date. That's brilliant stuff. What a, what a user. Um, Six for DRS. Yes, absolutely right. Uh, Chris Ring uh, listening in as well. He's at Mulzan. Alexander Orkin listening on the car on the way down to Le Mans. Uh, tweeted in using the hashtag mm, uh, Mobile One Radio Le Mans, uh, RLM rather, um, to say that they were stuck in traffic on the M1. Mark Harrison is in London, wishing he was there. Hello from Brisbane, Australia, the one time yeah, of the year, and listening to Midweek Motorsport at a reasonable hour. Jesse saying, I'm loving uh, Midweek Motorsport in the morning. Uh, Tactical Jedi it was uh, on the M1, en route for a Euro Tunnel crossing. Uh, there was a bit of industrial inaction uh, by the French. We were right. We, we got away. They're, they're, they're doing this thing where every now and again they get upset. Right, and, they go, and, they and then there's an hour's control. delay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's probably a tank competition, or something going on. <laughs> okay, uh, so who else is coming down? Uh, Yoda's uncle, Jem uh, Grant in the bicolors Enzo CLM tribute livery to uh, Renault McGann drop top by the look of it, uh, and. Uh, TCC, Time Certain Clock reminds us there were four F1 stewards, Gerd, Enza, Mathieu, Remery, Mike Cairn and Emmanuel Pirro. And if I'm, I think I'm right in saying, you might know this, I think the driver standards is advisory and doesn't have a casting vote anyway, does he? Well, it can't have a casting vote four, can you? So they have to come to an agreement. Right. Uh, Cotier no, is home in Nestved for the race using Le Mans as a warm-up for the N24. We'll be there as well, of course. Uh, Sam Pierce will have uh, finished work and have officially been on holiday heading to the Nürburgring. We'll be there with Aston Martin, as usual. Uh, and uh, we're in a new spot this year. Actually, we're not. We're going back to an old spot uh, this year, up in the TUV Tower. Um, a lot of people agree with you, I've got to say. Uh, after returning to the Trek, Vettel accelerated back on the race line right into the track in into Hamilton's path. Listen to the engine of the replays. That's the unsafe rejoin, says Andrew Tester from down under. The thing is, whatever we think, it doesn't matter. Because the stewards. Millions of pounds of publicity. The, the stewards have way more information, way more camera yep. angles, way more data than we've got to see on the TV. I saw a 40 second clip of it on Twitter because I was in France on Sunday and nobody screens it here. Uh, so. Well, it's not on terrestrial no, television. No, so we, we were busy setting up and doing stuff here. Couldn't say it. Um, so I saw it on that. I've, you know. Marshals, um, all, of, all of the marshals that I uh, know uh, sent me notes to say, the only question is, uh, was there an advantage in time or distance? Or did he disadvantage anybody by coming back oh, onto the yes. track? Answer to any one of those, and it would be reported. And then it's up to the stewards. At that, at that point. Uh, you're listening to uh, Radio Shores Limited's flagship broadcast, Midweek Motorsport, hello, uh, and it's Mobile One Radio Le Mans, 91.2 FM around the circuit as well. We've got Andrew Marriott with us as well this afternoon. Andrew, good afternoon. How are you today down there in the pit lane? Absolutely fine, John, as the rain patters down here on the pit lane. My very first time with you Radio Le Mans guys here at the great race, although I think, and I'm not quite sure, it might 
might be my 50th overall. This is so my. I've been here a few times. Well, I'm, um, I'm a I bit behind you. As I did spend over 20 years doing virtually every Formula One race, although not so recently, just stick my uh, three penny with him there. Um, I'm absolutely with Nick on this. Sorry, Joe. Uh, the rules is the rules, but the underlying problem here is not that. It's the ridiculous aero packages that they allow them to have in Formula One. Go to a cart, an Indy car type for front wing, all those problems go away. Obviously Hamilton had the quicker car, he would have overtaken Vettel and uh, the incident wouldn't have happened and we have all this bloody nonsense that's gone on. But there you are, those rules, they just won't change them. Aero on those cars, just crazy. Anyway, I'm standing right in front of a rebellion which has just been rolled out in front of me and they're turning it there on the dollies and I need dark glasses. So those of you who've been following uh, on the internet will know that they aren't red anymore, these cars. They are a mixture of pink, green, yellow, fluorescent colours on a white background. The two cars, the schemes are completely different and they have been designed by an artist called Tommy Boy and there's also a picture, I don't know if it's Tommyism, a sort of a man in an LA hat backwards um, depicted on the rear bodywork of the car. The second car has a same colour scheme but completely different. Um, and obviously this man has gone completely, I think he must be a street artist. In the garage area there's various murals, I'm just looking at one, it says, is this the new mainstream? And another message tells me, uh, let me just, so I've got the mechanics, it always seems impossible until it's done. So uh, yeah, I think I'd agree with that. But obviously Rebellion, such an interesting team here and cars prepared and the group largely British uh, in Surrey, but uh, with a team which of course is backed by the Swiss Rebellion watch, probably also I believe have karting circuits. And uh, you know, we have to look at these cars, of course, for an overall podium victory. There's going to mm -hmm. be an interesting battle between the non-hybrids and uh, one would expect Rebellion to be at the front of that with their Orica design chassis, but of course with the British engine and uh, gearbox. So always nice to be around the Rebellion boys. And I have to say, this is such a colorful Le Mans this year. There seems to be more colors than we've ever seen before. And I absolutely love that. And just one note uh, that I picked up when I was doing some of my uh, prep over the last week. Did you pick this up, John? Valentino Rossi told Canal Plus at the Monza Rally Show, he's a sometimes Monza Rally Show winner, apart from everything on the motorbikes, that he aims to race at Le Mans in 2021. Oh, that would be a big story. Yeah, and uh, not the uh, not the first person to uh, have said that. Let's see if it happens. He, he tested Ferrari, of course, uh, a, a wee while ago. Oh, Formula One, yeah. Yeah. Um, Andrew, the, re the one of the reasons we've got Andrew at Marriott with us is, A, because he's tremendously entertaining and knows everybody, and he's great at blagging into places. Uh -huh. uh, but, B, is because he comes out with absolutely nail-on-head hitting comments like he's just done about Formula One. Uh, and and the air rule and whatever else we think nobody's going to disagree with that and we we're giving andrew his own show uh, tomorrow um before we go live to track action uh, we're calling it marriott's memories bruce jones and uh, johnny will be in the studio with him as well and we're going to ask uh, you the listener uh, to 
tweeting using the hashtag MobileOneRLM tomorrow and uh, just throw some random words or driver names into Andrew. Because we do that quite a lot in the Creventic races, Nick, Bar don't we? Yeah, <laughs> bathtub, James Hunt. <laughs> yeah. yeah, South Africa, elephant. Yeah. Okay, um, one other thing I, I just was really interested in, and we'll go back to my memories, but, you know, I try not to look back. I might be an old geezer, but actually I try to look forward. Um, do a lot of harm looking back all the time, except in fun shows like the one we're going to do tomorrow. And I, I never thought about this before, but how does the garage allocation work mm. here? Now, it's a bloke who's called the operations manager of uh, Le Mans, called Anthony... Riedal, and he is the guy who allocates the actual spaces. And I saw a little interview with him in French, and apparently only about four or five teams have specifically asked to be in certain garages. And they are Toyota, Ford, Aston and Porsche. And they are always in the same spaces. Everybody else is moved around uh, between them. But of course it's a big difference this year. We've got 62 cars. And there was not enough garages for them. So what they've done is basically, at the entrance of the pit lane, built a tent, a super tent, but it's a tent nevertheless, and they've made that the garage for the two cars from Richard Dean and Zach Brown's team from Yorkshire. And um, they have those first two garages. So no longer a Toyota, the first, where they've been traditionally for a long, long time, and Pescarolo was there before them, have been, been the first garage, but now they've built these tents over basically a walkway that we used to walk through. Now we have to go a long way around to get into the pit lane, unless you, you know the United team well, and then you actually walk through their garage. Um, so the pit lane does have a bit of a different look to it this year, with more garages at the far end as it's had for a few years, but this sort of double tent garage at the very beginning. So. Uh, I was talking to Richard Dean about this uh, about an hour ago, and I said, he said there's advantages and disadvantages of being here, but always have a clean entry into their pit, of course. And the United, well, obviously they don't have the most popular of the LMP2 cars. Um, there's a lot more Oricas than there are uh, Ligiers, but uh, Richard Dean feels they've got a very good pace, and they're definitely going to be in with a shout of this LMP2 title, which I think there's a lot of LMP2 cars. Mm. I see it as a big battle, ultimately, between a couple of British teams and uh, the other one was the one I still like to call Jota Racing because, effectively, that's what DC Racing Jesse is. Jesse DC, yeah. yeah. Uh, Andy, you, uh, you were... Uh, we almost got a quick chat with um, somebody who is sort of straddling. You, you mentioned uh, Valley, uh, Valentino Rossi wanting to race here in 2021 there. Um, you were speaking to someone who's straddling both paddocks or will be from about 2021 um, uh, who was yeah. in the pit lane here earlier this morning. Christian Horner was here this morning. Christian Horner certainly was. He was in the big discussion with Larry Holt of Multimatic. He's probably been talking about hypercar rules. Obviously, Aston have a hypercar and... Uh, how are they going to race it? Are they going to race it out of Aston Martin Racing? Are they going to race it out of Red Bull? Obviously, big design by uh, by Adrian Newey. And um, I'm not sure if you know that our old friend Chris Goodwin, former BTCC racer and so on, has been headhunted by uh, Aston Martin to be the chief test driver of that hypercar on the road. Hi and then, of course, he's been headhunted from McLaren, where he was the chief test driver yeah, there. Yeah, correct. He's been so, there for a wee while now. Yeah, yeah. he has. Uh, yeah, it was about nine months, I think. I spoke to Chris the other day, he's 
says it's absolutely phenomenal the car. Okay, Andy, uh, we'll get back to you later on. Uh, apologies for the noise on Andy's mic. It is raining uh, quite heavily here, yeah. but I don't think that was all uh, rain noise or that. Let's move on then to uh, the announcement on Friday of uh, the revision to the draft to the revision of the uh, 2021 regulations. Um, I've spoken to a few people this morning. There will be an announcement on Friday. Of IPACA. Well, the, there'll be two announcements, actually, because they're going to announce the entry for the 20. 19-2020 season. That's fine that year. Because uh, because that needs to be done. Um, and because they won't be doing it in February the same no. time as, as they do the next year's Le Mans announcement. Uh, so that will be done. And speaking to interested parties, shall we say, up and down the, the paddock from teams, uh, there will be an announcement of something, which is a step forward. Uh, um, the direct quote that I've got uh, from Toyota is, we're not unhappy they're not totally happy but i've also heard it, so is it just going to be toyota looking at then uh, it's going to be toyota and uh they won't be on their own let me put it that way that's what i've been so told support earlier in the week that the epa car is no longer going to have to have hybrid is that is that gospel well if if red bull um are going to come in and do it then there's no hybrid on that car and there won't be mm. uh hydrogen is now an option Apparently as well, uh, which Aston have uh, had hydrogen. They had the hydrogen rapide running at uh, yeah. at the Nurburgring. Um, however, uh, tonight at midnight, it all has to happen because there are a set of criteria, right. ultimata, one some Blimey. some people Blimey. might call them, that have been put at the ACO and the FIA WEC's door by Toyota that says, this is what we want, this is what has to happen, and if it doesn't happen by midnight, then we won't be there in time. Even if they say yes, and it happens on Friday, the car, I have been reliably informed, the car will not run before July next year, which gives them... Three months. Barely uh, six weeks before the first race at the end of August, beginning of September. So that's, I mean, it's, it's a, it is, one hyper thing it is, is hyper-compressed timetable. Yes. It is, uh, which is a real issue. For someone as replete with um, resources as Toyota Kazoo Racing, I can't imagine any other manufacturer will be able to respond as quickly, particularly if they're not if they're not already got a car. Yeah, I mean, if you've already got a car that can be converted or adjusted, it should be. Well, it's going to take you a year, regardless. Hmm. Is there any possibility, or is it absolutely completely impossible to just grandfather these regs for another year, or is that against everyone's everything? Uh, I don't see the point of that, Nick. With only Toyota in the top class, but you've got. DR and everyone else in there as well. Oh, no, no, I, I, think, I think the current P1 regulations won't go away. Right. Because we're only in year one. So next year is only year two. They're going to have to let, let's, slogan right down, though, aren't they? Let, let's, let's just remind ourselves that those cars, which, which all of those teams and manufacturers have invested in, they are only, they are not yet at the end of their first season. No, it's a super season. Yeah. But then, uh, so they're P not going P1, away for another couple of seasons. But if you keep the current P1, the petrol P1, mm -hmm. they're doing 320 
321. So they said if the car was going to do 330. So you're going to have to stick 10 seconds of ballast on them in some way. Or... Or 12, because I want the Ipecar to win. Or you um, manipulate fuel and pit stops. So that you have... That's what every other lap in them. Well, well, there's ways of doing it. There's ways of doing it. I, I, I don't believe... I don't believe it's good for the sport. Now, this is not to say that this won't still happen, <laughs> because obviously common sense and motorsport at all levels not, don't necessarily go together when you're talking about sanctioning bodies of any sport. Actually, never mind just motorsport, but we do seem to be um, bereft sometimes of, of common sense in motorsport in, in particular. But if, if, they're, if they're once again stick it to the privateers, then they've got no one else to blame when the manufacturers have deserted the, the front of the field, as they have done, where they'll have nobody. They will have nobody. Because if, if you get rid of the guys in P P1, they're not going to go back to other classes. They'll just leave the sport. And we've seen it happen before. Look what happened to Stracker mm. when they got messed around, as yep. did many other people who built LMP2 cars. And we don't want that again. Uh, I really don't. Um, do, so do you think, as we speak, with... 10 hours to go, they're still writing it all. Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, I do. Uh, uh, look, I, when there was regulations, of, we, we played last year's race out on um, Monday and Tuesday. Mm -hmm. um, what? Uh, I think it was Toyota. Still? Okay, yeah, I still. Changed it. Okay. Uh, and I was just listening to what we were saying about the fact that the, the new regulations had been... Uh, put together and even then we were talking about those being a draft regulation and you know needing more meat on the bones and, and I've always believed that I've always thought that was the start of the conversation not the end and a printed set of rules I just think it's taken too long and too many people have had too much input into them what we really needed to do was a technical department of the ACO to have the courage of their convictions and put down a line in the sand and saying guys this is what we're doing Either come and play or don't come and play. It's what they did with P LMP1 Hybrid, and that produced not only some fantastic racing, and to start with at least, a real uh, variety of solutions to the same question. It massively benefited the battery technology, hybrid control technology, efficiency of engine technology, aero efficiency. All of that was accelerated by... A massive amount. And I think that's what the ACO should be doing. That's what Le Mans should be doing. Forget about the, the, the rest of the championship, whether anybody wants to do the rest of the championship or not. People want to come and compete here at Le Mans. And therefore, Le Mans should be driving this. And if you don't want to come and play, then fine, go and, go and do it somewhere else. Le Mans's not going away. It doesn't matter. But there's a, there's a two-pronged announcement on Friday, and we'll be talking about it at the weekend. Non-stop, I think. Mm. <laughs> Well, no, no, honestly, because there'll be a race on, and the race is far more important than what might or might not happen in 16 months' time. Mm -hmm. Because 90% of what we see on the track of the weekend, Nick, will be here in a year's time. Yep. Yep. In terms of the class structure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, your thoughts, please. Uh, hashtag Mobile1RLM. Uh... Johannes says, are we looking at a trade-off of embarrassments between new regs with cars on the grids next year and delaying the introduction altogether after this sometimes comical gestation period, multiple choice from hell? Don't disagree with that. Uh, I think 
Uh, I think if they do have something on the weekend, it's likely that in the first year it will only be Toyota. I don't think they'll have any competition in the first year. But even Vicar now? No. I mean, well, yeah. I'm sure they'll be there. Well, it depends. If they've built a car to a set of regulations that might not be now valid. valid. So they might have to scramble. Hmm. So, but let's see. Let's see. Um, maybe, I, I can't see it being pushed back a season. Um, Mickey Heather said, can it just be pushed back a season? That would mean extending the life of the TSO 50 for another season and having another season of that car. Because I don't think Toyota want to leave and come back. And they don't have anything else to run. They're not going to turn the Super into a GTE car, unfortunately. Although I think it's small. Possibly, yeah. But then again, GTE is almost a GTP class now, isn't it? Mm. In terms of what you can do with the cars. Uh, Jesse says, the hybrid technology at Le Mans also exposed the vulnerability of materials for uh, battery technology. Yeah, that's very good. Um, it did, and both Porsche and Audi bought uh, a battery company apiece to force the development of the battery packs forward. And I'm enjoying the fruits of that because I've driven down here in a KN e-hybrid, which since I filled it up on Friday when I got here, I've not used any petrol in. I've been going backwards and forwards on battery power. Very nice. It's great. Love it. Uh, Adam Crossfire says, I thought Brexit was an organised, that's nothing on this and the new regs. Mm. Uh, I'm with Hindy, don't dump on the little people, look at the grid, it's 80% private, there is. Yeah, don't disagree with that either. Uh, hashtag Mobile1RLM, please. Um, I saw Shay a moment or two ago, but she's disappeared uh, for she, a moment. She's a bit damp. Yeah. She's back, she hasn't shrunk, she's here again. Hello, Shay. Do you want to stick on a, a headset? Um, Shay Adam has uh, joined us uh, in the studio, our Mobile One Broadcast Centre. Which you'll be able to see in a couple of hours' time. Uh, yeah, oh really, have you got it all sorted? Could you ready for, for, for practice? For Good afternoon, Shay. Hello, everybody. Uh, you've been out looking at the road to Le Mans. I've been out in the rain, yes, uh, looking at the road to Le Mans paddock, which is splendid in terms of the variety of liveries. Right. We don't just have a load of red Ferraris. We actually have slightly orange Ferraris and, um, yeah, just different different colors and new liveries that I've never seen before, so it felt a bit like Christmas. Although I'm, I'm very sad to report, John, uh, Naj Hussein, who's a driver who regularly competes in the IMSA Prototype Challenge Series with a Star Wars liveries, uh, X-Wing fighter sort of LMP3 car. The one he's running here this weekend is under the United Autosport brand, and it is wearing United Autosport colors, so he wasn't able to keep the Star Wars. I could have lent him a helmet. You really could have. Yeah. 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 Uh, you and Johnny Palmer will be providing exclusive coverage of race one on Thursday. No other broadcaster is doing that, and there's no pictures for it. So, what, using your imagination or some kind of force? That's why we just went out and looked at the cars, so we can paint the picture without needing to see. Nah, yeah. you see yeah. what they did there. Uh, look, uh, you, you've got nothing on us. John and I did an entire six-hour race mester many years ago with no pictures, no nothing. No, no, we did have something. We had Piers Phillips. Uh, we had timing <laughs> and scoring, right? We had timing and scoring in three sectors at Estoril. And Piers Phillips put 
uh, a laptop on the wall for us. Peace Phillips, who is now the president of Rahal Letterman Lanigan Racing. Very well, successful this well, year. Well, his career after working with us, putting laptops on the, on the pit wall. He put the laptop on, and we connected via Skype to that, so we could hear the cars the going past. Yeah. That when that was that was what we had. And Tommy Erdos's dad was at that and said, "Where are you commentating on this form so I can come and see you?" And I said, "Northamptonshire," <laughs> and he wouldn't believe us. If there's a will, there's a, if you're willing, then you're able. What, what I would say to you, listener, if you hear there's been a multi-car pileup of 19 cars <laughs> all spun and continued, it might not be 100% true. <laughs> Adam Crossfire on the uh, new regulations. I says, I know I've mentioned this before, but I've not seen it discussed. Why couldn't they have a power-to-weight class for LMP set at a thousand horsepower per ton? You can use hybrid, non-hybrid, any engine size. What would be the downfalls or advantages? Um, I, listen. Effectively, that's what they're trying to do in, in balancing stuff. A lightweight car, so a car, a half-ton car with 500 horsepower, yeah. would be significantly faster than a ton and a half car with 1500 horsepower. It'd have a lower top speed. Well, not necessarily. No, it would because speed, it, it, you need horsepower to push it through the air. Yeah. Like double drag. Yeah, but, right. it would, but because it'd be so light in its tyres, so light in its brakes, everything else, it would be able to run much quicker. I can think about it. Think actually, here at the Mont, it might be one place a heavy, powerful car might work, but any normal circuit, it would get com the heavy car would get completely mullered. Uh, got five minutes to go in the first hour. Th four minutes to go in the first hour. Let's nip back down to the pit lane where Andrew Marriott is uh, still there in the rain. Andrew, where are you? Well, I'm not in the rain. I'm actually in the Porsche garage, and I'm looking at Nick Tandy. He's looking at me. So he'll probably come and talk to us a bit of luck. Former Le Mans winner, of course. Are we, live, are we are live, Nick, no swearing. Are we live too? Um, well, the world. People around the world, John Heindor says. <laughs> and around well, the track on 91.2 FM Mobile One Radio Le Mans. Well, you've been racing in America this season. It's rained near every race you've done, and you brought the rain here. But you've been having a super season. Um, well, yeah, it's been all right, actually. Um, I think Porsche, we've had four races in the States, and between the two cars, we've had three wins and a third. So manufacturer points-wise, it's been um, pretty good, yeah. But like you say, it's, uh, it's not looking very special today, is it, here? Certainly not. So pretty good during uh, qualifying, well, practice weekend. Are you happy enough with what you learned? Um, yeah, it was good. I mean, it was exceptionally hot, which was probably a little bit um, out of the window for what we expect for, for the race. So sort of what you want to get through looking at tyre selection from that point of view was a bit skewed. Um, but generally, the car was was pretty good out of the box, to be honest. We didn't mess around too much. It looks like uh, we should be in the ballpark, which is all any of the manufacturers want. You know, with a with a BOP formula, it's as long as you have a chance to go racing, then um, then everybody will be happy. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's the second time back here for the core crew, um, Porsche Porsche side of our our side of the Porsche garage, if you like. So, um, what we learnt last year, I think everyone's more settled into the environment over here. Um, it's not such a new thing, and. Um, yeah, at the end of the day, we're here for our two cars are here just for one thing, and that's um, you know if we if we second, then we're disappointed. You've got the Brumos, or sort of version of the Brumos livery here, of course, a famous uh, colouring for Porsches. Yeah, exactly, and we've run it twice before this year, and we've got a 50% hit ratio with it. So that's pretty good. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it, it it ran well for us at Daytona until the end, and obviously Sebring it ran terrible for us at the start, and then we were good at the end. So 
if we can get a kind of middle ground where it's decent throughout, then we've got a chance. But it's always nice to have something different on the car. It's um, you know you see the reaction from from you guys and uh, you know people trackside and people taking photos and bringing it. So yeah, it's um, it's a special thing for us to run the, the livery, of course, because Brumos is a it's an iconic livery, but it's never been raced at Le Mans. You know, so this is the first time for you know for us and for, for them here. It's uh, the winning cars are always the best looking ones. Aren't they? they look great, the winning cars. Just one final question: What's happening to the rest of uh, Tandy World JTR? You still running cars in Britain? Yeah, so JTR out in force at Croft this weekend. Um, we've got young Daniel Harper, who's our our championship leader in the Carrera Cup GB. Uh, um, going out there with, with Jamie this weekend and um, and after that we're actually entering the the Super Cup at Silverstone so um, yeah a couple of new challenges in England I've got another race event in the pipeline which which could be something a bit different and a bit interesting but um, yeah it's it's all busy the thing kind of for, for us the drivers and a lot of the crew from Porsche we go straight from here to to Nürburgring which is next week um, you know, I'll probably see John and a lot of the others over there also, and then we're straight to America. Um, the three races over there, and then we've got um, the Spa 24 coming up. So this is our our crunch period. Great to talk to you. Thanks very much for your time as ever, Thank Nick you. Tandy. There. So you all get to go to France for the week. Well, I'm left behind in the VO booth. Maybe next year. Yeah. Still to come. Yeah, sorry, Mark. Uh, on the second half of tonight's midday motorsport, as it was when we started in the UK, uh, now just after 2 o'clock here in France, 91.2 FM is Mobile One Radio Le Mans. Uh, we're heading uh, to... What are we going to do? The second, oh, we're going to go back down the pit lane for more from Andy and from Joe Bradley. We've got Nick and Shea in the studio. We'll have a chat with Paul Truswell. Uh, as well in this hour uh, and more of your tweets please hashtag mobile one rlm hashtag mobile one rlm2 uh, at speculatement or at radio lamont they'll come up on the screen in front of us but next uh, we've got a friend of ours on the phone to talk about print versus digital mm, interesting subject coming up with paul fanner from racer next here on midweek motorsport series 14 episode Delighted to welcome Paul Fanner from Racer Magazine. Hello, Paul. How are you? I'm doing well, John. Thank you. Now, Paul, come on. You can tell me. Um, print magazines. I mean, that's that's so last century, isn't it? I mean, you know, there's what what is the point of print magazines anymore? You don't have to sell this to me, but sell it to the listener. Well, I think first off, a print magazine is is also a digital magazine in the modern world. <laughs> uh, when you subscribe to Racer, you get both. I just want to mention that. Um, but the uh, the thing that's wonderful about a print magazine is, especially if it's beautifully made, is that it's a tactile experience. You're holding something beautiful in your hands that you can come back to. Uh, you don't have screen fatigue. Uh, you can teach your millennial child how to open. Uh, a magazine or a book it's a nice way of teaching <laughs> the basics of, of life <laughs> but it, it uh it's still a satisfying uh experience and you know we've we've had a significant more than double increase in our circulation since we uh, reacquired this company in 2012 so there must be a lot of other people out there that like print magazines as well 
But I, I talked to the curator of the Australian Motorsport Museum at Bathurst uh, recently when I was there at Easter. Uh, and he was quite worried. And I'll tell you why. Because he, he's worried about what we'll do in the future for uh, for themed exhibits. Because, you know, he had a number of people who'd sub- submitted uh, press cuttings and, and scrapbooks and, 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 and. And, of course, without print, you, you don't get that. Without a magazine, there's not something that you can put behind glass and put in a frame and put up, put up on a wall. That's exactly it. And I, I think that we like to think of uh, uh, the magazine as a, a, you know, a cultural artifact. It's a, mm. it's a record of that moment in time. And it's, it's really amazing to go back and look at the different eras of racer or autosport or motorsport magazine. And you get a sense of the moment and the place and the people yeah. and the culture. And, and, and uh, uh, it's, it's not a, you know, something that will evaporate. <laughs> and well, we think is, is it almost like a time capsule. Um, 27 years, Racer, has been in existence. What are you working on at the moment, Paul, as we talk to you right now? Well, this this morning I was working on uh, uh, the uh, digital plan and social media plan for Racer.com coming up on, on Le Mans. And, uh, and obviously uh, our uh, alliance and, and support of uh, Radio Le Mans, which we all love here. So, uh, but we're, we're working on new things. Uh, we, we've had such success uh, growing the brand digitally, uh, we had a record month in, in May, and we're experiencing a, a record June. We're up nearly fifty percent on traffic, and our wow. social media is very robust and active. So, uh, you know, I think we we engaged over a million users in in May, and uh, I'm not sure if we'll get to that number this month, but it it's very very strong, and it, it's going to get close. So, uh, we're we're just trying to figure out how to you know keep the growth going yeah, that, that we have a small team but they work very hard you, you've got my mate Lawrence Foster uh, still out there working hard for you the man from all hello hi, hi, all right there boss hi champion have a kind of cook um, and he's been doing a cracking job hasn't he he has been Lawrence is simply the most amazing uh, uh, editor I've ever had the privilege of working with and not only <laughs> is he you know passionate about uh, motorsport he's a degreed uh, aerodynamicist who uh, turned down a job at uh, as the assistant arrow man at Williams uh, to become a magazine editor. So I, mm. I think, uh, you know, he, he, he's, he's a smart cookie and he's got that rare left brain, right brain ability to process things. He's uh, undoubtedly could have been used to great effect at Williams, particularly at the moment, I would have thought. Um, yes. we, we think of Racer as Racer.com and the physicality of something that, as we've talked about, about getting in your hands. But um, Racer is more than that as well, because you, you've got a, a, a Racer.studio agency at the yes. moment. What, what does that do? And, and, well, I mean, we, we don't hear about that so much, but it's working hard behind the scenes, I take it. Yes, it, it's something we've had since the beginning. We we started uh, as a company was originally called Fanner Communications, but from the beginning in, in 1980, it was our first full year of business. We've done work for uh, manufacturers, uh, companies in racing, uh, racing series. Uh, our first two clients were Interscope Racing. We worked on all the livery and collateral materials for uh, the Interscope Porsche IndyCar program and oh, their wow. IMSA programs. Uh, and we also developed the brand identity for Skip Barber for Penske Motorsports. Uh, we've worked closely uh, with Mazda for many years, providing the content to their MazdaMotorsports.com. Uh, Lawrence is on a 
an asset capture shoot uh, uh, this week with uh, he's he's capturing a still I think still in video assets for Toyota for uh, a collateral project. So we we do all this and we've worked on the strategic planning and uh, branding for IMSA, IndyCar, uh, the Centennial Indy 500, and and then worked for oh now 35 years as the publisher for SCCA for Sports Car Magazine. And and. You mentioned there video, of course, because that's where things have changed and where I think you guys have really embraced the change in technology because although you still produce Racer Magazine, um, which you can put in your case, you can sit and read it on the plane, even if your laptop has gone flat or you forgot to charge it up or you didn't bring it with you, which is always very handy. Uh, But you've moved into the digital age, as you say, and that means moving pictures as well as photographs as well nowadays. Yes, and, and that, that's largely been led by uh, the brilliant Mar- Marshall Pruitt, the man of many talents. And mm. uh, we, we as a company have a lot of experience in, in what would be, uh, you know, broadcast ready video or uh, high quality, you know, high production value video. But the spontaneous on-site video has been something Marshall has done a great job of creating and, and leading the way uh, for our company on. And, and we have plans to expand the video offerings for Racer uh, we also own Racer.tv is, is another brand that currently just takes you to our YouTube channel. But uh, stay tuned. We have other plans for that. Well, and I hear, um, I hear a little rumor, and I'm not sure if I'm even supposed to ask you this or what you can tell me about it, that uh, not content with having the sports car magazine for SCCA that you mentioned, and that goes back to 1984, not content with 27 years of Racer magazine, there might be another print asset that you... Uh, are going to get your hands on. Can you tell us anything about that right now? Yes. We're, well, I can tell you that we're uh, definitely uh, very close to announcing uh, uh, a, a new member of our family here, uh, a new uh, a new print and, and digital product that uh, will be, when people see it, they'll go, ah, that makes sense. That's perfect. Uh, uh, many will know it. And uh, I think that ah. it's a great companion to uh, – what we do with racer for sure and, and even with sports car and we it has great potential to expand and um i i'm under a, a non-disclosure agreement so i can't actually say the name of it. <laughs> but what you're saying to me is that you this is not something that you're going to launch it's something that you're going to acquire and and run with and and let's be honest that your your track record pun absolutely intended um since founding Racer and then taking back in 2012, that sounds like very good news indeed for the publication concern. So we wish you, we wish you all the best with that. Oh, thank you so much, Sean. Yeah, we and we're excited that, that uh, when you see it, you'll realise that it's, it'll be. A am great I going to want to read it? Am I going to want to read it, or am I possibly even reading it already? Yeah, you, know, you may read it already, but if you don't, you're going to want to read it. And uh, uh, it, it, there's so many things right about this product. I don't think we we need to. Uh, uh, do a resuscitation or anything on it. It's a great product, and uh, the people that have been creating it do a wonderful job. So it, it's it's going to be an ideal uh, alignment for us. And Paul, uh, you'll be the, among the first to know. I'll, I'll I will text you. <laughs> I'm very excited. I'm very excited, Paul. Listen, pass on all the best, all of our best, and all of our listeners' best to the the team. I know it's an extremely small team that turns out a, 
an exceptionally large amount of high quality work both in print and digital format uh, we wish you all the best a particular special wishes to to Marshall and Chabral at more Marshall Pro and his missus uh, who are, are going through an, an awful time and uh, our, all of our thoughts good wishes and prayers uh, are, are with those pair as well please pass on our best won't you Oh, John, I will, and thank you for that. And, and uh, I want to also thank all of those listeners uh, uh, who contributed uh, to the fund, uh, the GoFundMe page that's uh, under Marshall Pruitt's name, but it's really for the medical expenses uh, for Chabral. Uh, they're you know significant, and uh, she's going to win this fight. You know, she's a former Marine, and, and uh, she's serious about winning. Uh, and her her illness is is one that. Uh, uh, requires complete commitment, uh, both financial and uh, spiritual. So uh, please uh, keep her in your thoughts. We will do. Uh, and uh, thanks again, Paul, for taking time out. Can't wait Thank to you hear go. your news. Paul Fanner, the man at the head of Racer and Racer.com, joining us on Midweek Motorsport. Thank you so much, Sean. It's our pleasure, Paul, and thanks for joining us here uh, on Midweek Motorsport Series 14, episode 23. We're live from Le Mans. Let's go to the pit lane to prove we're live. Joe Bradley uh, is down at TF Sport, and with the man, well, if not with his name above the doors, at least with his initials, TF Sport is Tom Ferrier. Tom's been flitting backwards and forwards from uh, England and France, Tom, but there are people in your team who've got French passports that have been here that long. Yeah, we've actually got one Frenchman as well, to oh, be honest. So, yeah, he's the translator. But, yeah, the guys have been here for, well, we're over at the test, um, mm. setting up Monday morning, the week before the test. Uh, obviously, did the test weekend. And then we all had to go back to Silverstone for British GT. And then we've all come back over Sunday night again, uh, a long overnight drive to start the race week. And how did scrutineering go for you? Because I always feel it's like your car going through an MOT, isn't it? Well, we passed, so it's good. Right. The boys done a lovely job on the car. Um, yeah, it's always a bit tense. You want to make sure everything's right and legal. So, uh, yeah, it was all good. Good day. Nice pictures. Not raining. So, uh, yeah, all ready to go. How tricky can the organisers be with scrutineering? Because I've heard stories of, like, a sticker needing to be a little bit more to the left, etc. Yeah, it's uh, it's a pretty yeah tough process, really. You know, bodywork measurements, bodywork weights. So uh, it's all done to the highest level, which is what you would expect. Yeah, and it's consistency. Are they consistent? As far as I know, yes, <laughs> to be honest, yeah. And it's the same thing every year, so you get a bit more prepared for it. But, um, yeah, it's every car's done the same, and, yeah, you can say the way it should be. You and I have just been looking at the sky and thinking and contemplating what the what the sky has got in store for us. We've got a, a four-hour session, and the weather forecast is actually for it to be worse than this, Tom. What does that mean for TF Sport? Are you are you going to chance things and actually go out? We've got wet feet. Uh, yeah, uh, we'll see what it's like when it gets to the session time. Um, you know, track will be a bit green anyway, uh, so I don't think we'll rush out if it's like this. But if it's you know biblical, then we'll probably not do a lot. I wouldn't think. You just don't want to go through any unnecessary risks and looking at the weather for the rest of the week it looks better should we say so uh, yeah i think we're going to be playing it by ear a little bit uh certainly the uh the, the talk is of the the new version of the aston being really good in the wet they, those guys are doing a rain dance and winning so far what's the older version of the aston like in the wet i, I, I from memory i think it's pretty good it's all right I think, yeah, I think we'd still prefer it dry. I know the, know the pro cars next door are always doing a rain dance because the new car is excellent in the wet. But yeah. um, I think the Porsche in our class and is, is very strong in the wet. So, um, yeah, we can be there, there or thereabouts, but I, I, think, uh, I think we would favour a dry, dry race. And your driver line up this year, Tom, um, the, the uh, familiar faces in the camp, that, that helps, I would imagine. I always say, better the devil you know. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've been with us for ages now, so, um, you know, we've done the whole of the WEC season together and um, got 
three Le Mans under their belts now, so, uh, or sorry, two, this is the third one. Um, so yeah, we'll know which way it goes and what we're going to be doing, fingers crossed. And when's Pickup going to be coming over from the Rota Le Mans paddock and messing things up? Hopefully never. <laughs> <laughs> he'll be over, he's there out on track at 8.30 tonight, so um, he'll, right. be, he'll be over, yeah. Yeah. shaking and wobbling around great stuff look forward to having a couple with them thanks Tom yeah, now you go back in and get dry yeah. <laughs> Joe in the pit lane there yeah very good thank you Mr Bradley and he'll be part of our pit lane crew that also includes Andrew Marriott Bruce Jones who we've not heard yet and Shea Adam who is here with us in the studio in our Mobile One Broadcast Centre hello I'm actually sitting in Paul Trustwell's seat feeling a bit like a, an imposter and, and Nick Damon's here too he's looking around now in the pit too as you know yeah mention me I, yeah I, it's well, one, no, that's because we've already heard from you yeah but uh, I, I think i need all my job titles kind of read out oh, and everything all right. else all right uh, and uh, he's trying to fix up studio vision as well at the moment for those who have been asking uh, at radio lamon and the hashtag is mobile one rlm mobile one rlm sarah rigby hello there and you, you'd like uh, tom ferrier there <laughs> she says i've uh, not, I've had to go back down to the clinic and I didn't hear it all. Well, don't worry, it'll be on the podcast. And, and don't forget, by the way, we will be playing the show out at its normal time tonight, but on RS3 at 8 o'clock, because we'll be doing stuff on track uh, around about them. And or, wasn't that because of Sarah's request initially last week? Uh, it was uh, Carol. Carol Brink, actually, was because it it's too early for her. Ah, uh, uh, good point. Well, yeah. wake up, Carol. It's, it's um, what time is it over there now? Two o'clock in the morning. It's nine hours back, so it's, yeah, it's yeah. five o'clock in the morning. Oh, is it? Right, okay. I knew it's some ridiculous time. It's some in the time morning. o'clock, anyway. It's some time o'clock. Uh, lots, of, uh, lots of tweets coming in about the two big stories the uh, Vettel Hamilton uh, spat. Um, not me and Joe spat then. Well, it was more you no, and Joe. No, no, everybody. No, everybody liked the way we discussed that. They said me, you, Joe, and Andy Marriott should be the uh, driver stewards at the next uh, Grand Prix. That would go well. That'd be <laughs> mega. The power. Think of the power, love. I'm penalising you because I don't like you, and your dad's rich. And I've never liked you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you, bad haircut. Ten seconds, stop and go. <laughs> you wouldn't uh, even let Kimmy start the race, would you, Nick? <laughs> yeah, you have an ice cream and go home. Do you see? I'd put him at the front. <laughs> So we've got two casting, we've got two other votes, you see. Yeah. <laughs> Kimmy at the front would be more entertaining than no Kimmy. Come on, come on. What would you do without sweary Kimmy on the radio? He hasn't been swearing. Where's all he? the T-shirts coming from? I must be, you never realise how much swearing there is until you watch the, the Netflix documentary. That's that's the major thing. You, you find out there's obviously some reason that all the report, the radio is delayed because they are just editing everything. Because the, the great thing about non native British speakers is they love throwing a swear word in at every other word because they've learnt their English from mechanics mm, good point <laughs> good point Andy, and Andy Blackmore is uh, up and about at 5 o'clock on the west coast up early catching up with work thanks to a certain spotter's guide uh, Andy working on some uh, bits and pieces for us as well um, with full talk gear uh, go on to www.radio-show.co.uk or radiolamont.com and at the at uh, top of the sponsor panel on the right-hand side, you will see a very fetching set of T-shirts. And if you click on there, that will take you through to our new RSL apparel oh, page. Yes. It's magnificent. And we'll give you some news about that uh, a bit later on in the show. I have to ask the responsible adult whether the discount code has been approved yet uh, and whether we've got the special Le Mans T-shirt as well that you've been asking for. Andrew, you're listening at the moment. You can send me a... 
uh, a private message, <laughs> or you can just say yes on all accounts. Yes. Uh, at uh, uh, at Mobile One, or excuse me, hashtag Mobile One, uh, Rachel Lamont. The other big talking point, of course, is the regulations Ipica. for LP. It's not, don't even call it that. I like, I like saying the word Ipecar. I'd like to say the word Ipe Marsh. Thanks very much. <laughs> super you. Yeah, super <laughs> ooh. Uh. Is it for you, you? A um, uh, lot of people talking about what might happen. Uh, the IMSA model's been mentioned, Cher. Uh, and DPI, it's been successful. It works. It does work, and it gets mm, manufacturers. But aren't they, aren't yep. they all moaning now about about DPI two and the potential of any run a bit of hybrid, and they're all getting grumbly no. about that now? No, no, they're not all. One manufacturer, yep. which is Ford. All right, okay. Has mourned about it. Okay. Apparently. Grumble, grumble. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. I don't think DPI will be um, taken up by the SEO. Um, I don't. Th- I think it won't be taken up for a number of reasons. Not invented here, mainly. No, no, not that actually, because th- the higher echelons of the FIA WEC management company LMEM absolutely want it because they see it as a way to guarantee the future of the FIA World Endurance Championship, which they administer on behalf of the FIA and the ACO. So they've been very pragmatic about it. But I think the main reason is it's too close to LMP2, and. Yeah. Where do you get the point of differential? Now, they could celebrate the fact that LMP2 is an ACO formula and therefore, well done us, Mm. and that's the chassis that's being used. But I don't think that there's enough of a performance differential between those cars, particularly somewhere around here, to, to have them as the top class. Well, if if you believe what some of the manufacturers spout very happily, that they've been reined in so much that they're now turning lap times that are breaking records at every lap circuit still, but they feel that their performance window is still much smaller than it could be in DPI, then you could say to Cadillac, for example, all right, here's your bigger engine back uh, since we took you away from your five-liter giant. Here's your big engine back, no restrictions. Go do a lap time. Let's Mm. see what you can do. That, that could be a bigger window between that and LMP2. Mm. I, I just don't think there's a big enough point of differential in terms then, of, of the technical. But though this might be a little bit um, dangerous on other levels, then you just downgrade the level of driver in P2. Make it, and make it all amp. Yeah. No, one pro, two amps. Yeah. Rather than yeah. Like currently it's two pro, one amp. Yes. Then you have an interesting qualifying, because you might get a nice mixed-up qualifying where you've got P2s and P1s together. But once, once, the first, once the first hour's out of the way, then obviously they're going to start dropping off, aren't they? Let's see if we can get Andy uh, in on this. Andrew Murray down in the pit lane here at Le Mans. Uh, thank you, John. I'm very much for DPIs at Le Mans. It would bring new manufacturers back here. Surely Cadillac would come. We know Mazda would come if they let, allowed DPI. Um, for me, it has to be the answer, but it's not invented here, is it? Mm. Um, I, I know Bicester would come. I'm not sure whether Cadillac would come. Um, I, I think Cadillac would come. But would they come for one race, or would they come for the whole of the WEC? Cause they one have, race. And, and there's the other problem. Yep. And there's the other problem. Aside from what, we, what I said before, the biggest problem is why would the ACO let... IMSA teams cherry-pick the biggest biggest race in the world and come here and take the big trophy at that big end-of-season pageant when they're not supporting the WEC. And I, I, I just don't see that. I can not to an, run as I'll the top class. I'll give you an answer for that. What? Activation cash. What? Activation cash. If they come around here and say, we'll turn up, we'll bring two cars and we'll build an edifice and we'll invite some people and here's some lovely money, Mr. ACO... 
that will change the opinion right away. Jill Bradley. Sorry, I was thinking I was going to talk back when you came to me there. Yeah, why, we've had IMSA classes before. Yes, we have. And, and I know the DPIs can be quicker than LMP2, so where we use a bit of balance of performance with an air restrictor or whatever, um, I, th- I personally think that's a great idea, but certainly not the primary class where they could run away with the spoils and the accolades. So you would have them between hours. current LMP1 and current well, LMP2? That, that's up for argument. I mean, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to sort of uh, disadvantage your LMP2 runners because you've got those customers running an ELMS and the Asian mm. series, and that's your and point. Then, and then they come along to Le Mans, and they're a third grade class. I mean, it's no, I, well, certainly it's open for debate, isn't it? Which is what we're doing. And I think probably so that you don't um, upset anyone, you're probably looking at my idea being a third class, maybe. And I'm not sure that's going to work, so I'm kind of arguing against myself here. Yeah, but hang on, a third <laughs> class where, though, Joe? That's my point. Yeah, well, a third class underneath LMP2, or maybe mix it up so that the performance, the balance of performance, no. has the DPI. No. Like the only the tried in IMSA. No, but the. Uh, and do you know why that isn't happening anymore? Because the manufacturers don't want it to have yeah. a, a car that people say, um, right, what's an Oringa? An Oringa's just beaten a Cadillac. Yes. That, that can't yeah. happen. So it has to be the top class or nothing at all. I'm just putting rose-tinted glasses on here, aren't I? To, for the Careful idea. how you say yeah. that. Yeah. John Inverdale yeah. can tell you all about that. Um, the, yeah, and, and, there's the, and there is the problem, Nick, because you want the manufacturer activation money. They'll bring activation money if they can win overall. Mm-hmm. So that means they've got to beat current LMP1s and current LMP2s. How far off is a DPI currently from a, P, from a petrol P1, not Toyota? Well, we don't know. But no, they're, they're, they are, you know how much faster they are than the P2? Because you've got P2s running around now. Well, but don't forget the P2s have been slowed down. I thought the P2s had gone back to European levels. No, the, the, the P2s never got changed. It was the DPIs were dragged back to... Right, the, so. to, to so, but uh, now they've been slowed down. Oh, OK, right. Um, so that was, that, was the, that was the issue. I'm trying to find out the answer to that, Nick, because, of course, we have an opportunity to actually compare the two with the race at Sebring. Yeah. When the qualifying sessions were a day apart and the track conditions were different between the two cars. But at least you could say same weekend. Yeah. The LMP1s were quicker. The LMP1s were quicker and substantially quicker. The privateers? Yes. Yeah, than a, than a DPI. Okay, but, but we know the DPIs have got more in the, more in the bag. Let's see, race by class. Go on. It's it's loading. It's just slow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> slow internet. Yep. Uh, current LMP1 with DPI engines says Yanis uh, Graglika. Um, but it's the design. It's the style aesthetic of seeing the nose of the car and knowing immediately which one it is. So that's part of the appeal of DPI. If you took the engine out of the back and put it in a different car, then you lose some of why DPI is great. Uh, I, 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 well, let's, let's go back to Andrew. Uh, Bob's up on the roof twiddling things and uh, may have made this mic a little bit better. Uh, go ahead, Andrew. Okay. Yes, I mean, oh, much better. Shay just said exactly what I was going to say. We have got a direct comparison, of course, at Sebring. And I believe that the DPIs, because I looked at it, was about five seconds, about five seconds difference. But as we said, the DPIs are rained back a lot, particularly the Cadillacs. Uh, so for me, 
what, what might we have in two years' time here? If the hypercar thing sort of works and we've only got Toyota and Gluckenhaus, it's going to be awful. But with DPI, we could have five or six manufacturers here and we could have Roger Penske here with Honda. But, you know, it's, but only for one race, uh, uh, only for one race, Andrew. Well, and that's the problem. Well, and Ewan Clement but, says, hang on, hang on. Ewan Clement says, he says, personally, I don't really like the idea of bringing in, in DPI. But if you did, or even opened up a class for the IMSA DPI teams, which loyal ACO series teams do you bump off the grid for one race? It's a fair point, isn't it? It's a fair point, yes. But, I mean, is there not a possibility, if you've got these stable DPI regulations, that they're not, you know, that the teams don't race in the whole championship? Well, it, uh, they're going to race in Sebring. So there's two races done. Well, no, because they'll be racing in a different race at Sebring. Please, well, God, nobody is going to try and combine those two races. That was the worst event yeah. I'd ever been to. It keeps me awake <laughs> at night. And I've still never seen but, a proper set of combined results from yeah. that. But it's a, I mean, you're absolutely right. It's a big dilemma, uh, to be honest. The problem, um, the problem is... Uh, the, the problem, the biggest problem is that as soon as you have Le Mans as part of the World Championship, you've got to give all the World Championship teams an invitation to Le Mans. So your 35 entries, you've, you've already lost half of the field. So at that point, when you've already got so many people, and you know we had Cyril uh, Teshvelen in earlier on saying how great the Asian Le Mans series is and how that's expanding, then you're going to let ACO teams that support ACO championships down by allowing people in from, say, IMSA or, or wherever else. And at the point that you're doing that, that becomes counterproductive. So my answer is take Le Mans out of the championship. Not a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. Same thing with the Indy 500 that we've been talking Absolutely about. Take that agree. out of it. Yes. Um, the poll times, by the way, for the uh, two different classes at Sebring, Dane Cameron was a 145.8, the fastest lap time in qualifying by any of the P1 non-hybrid cars was a 41.9. So it was well, three seconds quicker. But Paul uh, Trustwell has 42.8, I think it was. Uh, Jets just uh, 42.8 was the combined time of both uh, drivers, uh, yes, but I did the individual because yes. Dane Cameron did it individually uh, on, on a himself. single lap. Yeah. yeah, on a single lap, absolutely. Uh, Paul's crunching some numbers. This, the, 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 the point about this, and I'll bring Joe Bradley uh, back in on this as well. Joe, your mic's up as well. Uh, you, you've seen enough uh, of the ACO racing and, and racing in America. No, the, the point that we're making here, and, and Andrew's actually you know, come up with some good ideas, but it illustrates, does it not, that there's no simple answer to this because, and it's a nice situation to be in, sports car racing is actually quite popular at the moment. <laughs> if, if you look at the LMP2 field, in all of the SEO run series, ELMS, Asian Le Mans, just look, if take away the LMPs and come here with LMP2 as the primary class, if you were to stand over there in the grandstand and look across at this pit lane, you would see a bright, shiny, glossy pit lane. And is there anything wrong in that? Do, you know, there's, John. Only, there's only the geeks amongst us can kind of understand the technicalities sure. of what we've got at the LMP part of this pit lane. All right, you know, the Toyotas look fantastic. You watch those cars on track and they really are science fiction, literally. However, what audience are we trying to take the sport to you know a brand new audience wouldn't know a hybrid from a from an lmp2 
Good point. They all pretty much look the same, and they look and sound fantastic. So for me, I, I, it wouldn't hurt this event to have LMP2 as the primary class for but, some years. But the problem there is they all look the same, and they all sound the same. One of the great things about Le Mans is mm. you still hear V8s and all V12s, or maybe not V12s anymore, but lots of different engine noises and lots of different shapes. And if you GTE have GTE for that, Andrew? Pardon? Well, got GTE for that? No, the bigger right. problem with it is it's all a spec category because you've only got one engine and that's why it can't be the top class uh, and that's that's my that is, that is also another i'm afraid ticking the why, no why? thank you very much box all right John, for, for dpi hang on let me finish and I'll, then i'll tell you why um the the reason that 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 is a tick in in the box for no thank you very much is it there's no strategy at that point because everybody's on the same fuel everybody gets the same number of laps you can't really make that much difference and it becomes uh, it's effectively a single a single category, isn't it? And that's the same for me. For for DPI shouldn't be the top class of a world championship, and it shouldn't be the top class of Le Mans because there's only four strategies that you can ah, choose from. Ah, let's open up our minds, though. Let's open the box to LMP2 as just a regulation and welcome anybody who wants to come and build their own chassis to LMP2 regs. At the moment, I'm not I'm not necessarily thinking along the lines of keeping LMP2 exactly as it is now. I'm ah. thinking of the car, the kind of car that we have in LMP2. Engine, gearbox, conventional chassis. It look, you know, they look great. But let's open it up to anybody. Well, we uh, already have that, Joe. That's LMP1. The the, the, the P cars true. in LMP1. That, that's true. Nothing wrong with LMP1. To me, that's the class that should be getting supported right now. Mm. Because you've already got teams who have, and I've said this many times before, and you'll have heard it in the, uh, the, the, pro, the preview programmes, if you take Toyota out of the equation here, and, and I'm not for one moment suggesting that we should do that or that they should be made to leave because I think they've been desperately honourable in all of this uh, in amongst a lot of people who haven't been. Uh, they have been honourable from the very first moment they came into the WEC a year early, let's not forget, because Peugeot, who shouted for the championship for so long, immediately that the championship came about, they decided they weren't going to do it for various pretty sensible reasons. But Toyota have been honourable, so, but let's take them out of the, the equation for the moment. If we only had LMP1, and you were looking at those LMP1 cars up and down the pit lane, the Rebellions, the BRs, those cars with a variety of chassis, which is open, with open engine technology, which has different configurations of engines, different engine sizes. We even have chassis that have got different engines in the back. This is proper, proper prototype racing. If that was the top class, what, would we complain about that? I've just opened up my LMP2 idea, and it's evolved into <laughs> what you've just said there. That's exactly what I meant. Open tyre competition. Yeah. Open, open chassis, open engine. Now, what you need to do, though, to make that work is... If, if I'm the ACO and the WAC at the moment, let's look at what's good. Let's look at what's good, and let's not throw that out. So LMP1, good. What can we do to make it better? Bring in hybrid? Absolutely not. But what you can do is allow manufacturers to get involved in branding of engines, branding of cars, which they're really not allowed to do in LMP2 or LMP1 at the moment. But if you let, Nick, a manufacturer particularly one maybe that's not involved at the moment, stick a toe in the water and, and brand an engine in the back of a rebellion as a uh, triumph. Oh, well, I'm all, I'm all over that. <laughs> right, as a triumph, which would be a BMW. TR9. Yeah, yeah, a, a rebellion TR9, that's Triumph TR9. But if you allow them to do that, it would allow them to 
dip their toe in the water to bring some a little bit of activation money to Le Mans, which would help the ACO, which would help, help the, the WAC, uh, and it would give them an opportunity to try it out without having to spend 200 million euros. I think that makes uh, perfect sense. Why do you think there are so many manufacturers now jumping on the uh, Formula E bandwagon? It's not just because it's uh, got the zeitgeist, it's because it's also cheap in comparison to other motorsport programs. At the moment. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. We all know the the the, uh, the codicils to that, but no. At the moment, um, no. I, I think yeah, the, the, I think the problem is that the the, the ACO have, have tried to make the thing too too complicated and too road relevant and too let's you know let's let's appease John Tottenham. I always think let's make it you know hybrid battery hydrogen. You know, there's nothing wrong with the petrol engine. It's not you know, the, you know, the worst polluters out there are ships anyway. Uh, Tom Firth says, problem is with Heindorf's idea is if you take the uh, Le Mans out of the championship, surely the WAC is dead. You might as well run an IMSA or EMS or Asian Le Mans series if WAC hasn't got Le Mans. My answer to that, Tom, is if you can't make a, a business case for the WAC, it doesn't deserve to exist. And I'm, I'm, I'm not making a value judgment on that. But to be honest, the only people at the moment that are benefiting from the WEC are Toyota because they're the only global manufacturer that's in there. The GTE manufacturers always make a big noise and we love the GTEs, but they don't spend money. Yep. They don't activate. Other than Porsche, they don't activate. Aston do a bit. The big presence here. Right. Go ahead. Go ahead, Jim. Thank you. Uh, the big difference is if you run the WEC and you win that, you are a world champion. And that was something that we talked about over dinner the other night was having that world championship status. That's what makes running this worth it. Okay, so I'll put this out there to all of you, Andy and uh, Joe in the pit lane, you two here and you out there on hashtag Mobile One Radio Le Mans. You're a manufacturer. Oh, good. Right? Uh, Damon's Autos. Oh, okay. Damon, all right, can you be Triumph? I'm happy to be Triumph, really. Would you like to be Triumph? I all right. Triumph, really. So if you're, if you're at Triumph, yep. then okay. coming back, yep. building a world brand, do you want a world championship sticker on the back of every TRA 9 that you nine, sell? thank you. Yeah, uh, or do you want winner Le Mans 2021 sticker on the back of all your Triumph TR9s? Which sticker do you want? Le Mans. Sure. Hmm. I, I genuinely don't know. Because uh, if you say world champion, then it extends beyond motorsports. So people who don't know anything about car racing, who don't know Le Mans, will see world champion and go, oh, they want something. And Andrew, you've been around long enough to know that there was a world championship and there was a, a Le Mans before. A Le Mans winner or world championship winner on the back window of all your cars? Le Mans. And uh, my car's a turner, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've, got, I've got Bill Riley down here. Well, yeah, I could ask I, him the same I question then. Dive in. Um, yeah, a very interesting discussion. I think actually uh, an American colleague of mine has just dived in. With, but can I just take Bill for a moment as we're live? I'm, uh, I'm elbowing a good friend out of the way, actually. <laughs> Bill Riley, we're looking at the, the Wins private Ford here. Um, an interesting experience for you working on a, a different car designed by somebody else rather than yourself. Yeah, I mean, it's different, but it's, you know, the same thing we do in the States with the AMG program. And it's, um, you know, it's just, it's different for us, but it's not, it's not that far off. We have a lot of support from Chip Ganassi Racing and Ford. And uh, so it makes it a, a lot smoother along with Michelin. So it, it's, it's working out very well. 
And uh, I mean, you've had to go look around it. You think they did a good job initially with it? Oh yeah, I mean, Automatic uh, designed the car and built the car, obviously with Ford. And uh, you know, the car is really nice. It's really nice put together, and it's very nicely developed. I suppose your biggest headache this weekend is going to be the weather, isn't it? It's so changeable. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, it's changing so quick. I've never seen it really go from sunny to, to rain so fast here. But it's uh, you know, we're all we're all fighting together, and we'll just kind of all play the game together. Here's a question I should know the answer to, but do the teams at Lamar all use the same weather information or do you have your, your own personal information? Well, I think there's like a general one that we all sign up for, then everybody kind of has their personal favorite, whether it's an app or uh, a website to go to. So I think it's kind of like a mixture of everything. Uh, of course, if you remember, Roger Penske at Indy used to fly a plane around doing his own weather forecast. Yeah, yeah, he used to fly over to Terre Haute and see if it was raining over there, you know, but uh, no, we're not quite to that level yet. But, you know, we pretty much, it's with the way it is now, it just comes and goes so fast and everything pops up so fast, it's pretty hard to predict. We've been having a discussion in our show about the hypercars that may or may not come. What's your take on hypercars? Is that the way to go for Lamar? We've had people talking to us saying DPI could be the way to go with this championship. Well, you know, I'm kind of I'm out of those talks for about two years now on, on where it's all going. But, um, you know, it's a very hard balance that the that everybody's playing on the, the privateer and the cost of racing versus what the manufacturers want. And it's, it's a tough game to uh, to play. And I wouldn't want uh, their jobs for anything on to decide what to do. Thanks very much for that. Thank you. Brilliant stuff, Andrew. Uh, and uh, jumping in because Radio, first of all, is the senior service. And second of all, we're live. Uh, we don't often get to say that. I'm sorry, we're live. So we get precedence. And we've got the biggest audience as well. Ha-ha. Uh, let's uh, let's go back down to Joe Bradley, who has a little more on Le Mans versus the World Championship. Where are you, Jim? Uh, I'm in the pillin, of course. Head afternoon of don't, two skies. Don't be supercilious. Oh, I thought you meant, I thought that's what you meant. Um, GB Automotive entering the World Championship on Le Mans, what would we rather have? When I tell people I'm off to work in the World Endurance Championship, they come back with, what's that? When I tell people I'm off to Le Mans, the Le Mans 24 hours, they know exactly what I mean. Mm. So I'd go for the Le Mans sticker on my GB Automotive construction. Is that what you're calling the car? That's you're going to be GB Automotive, GBA. Yes, I haven't really thought about it. It's mm. the car that veers off and hits people but has no penalty to do with it. <laughs> we will discuss this is that, dinner, Mr. Damon. Is that one of those new aut- semi-autonomous? Is that a Seb driving car? Exactly. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> You're listening to Midweek Motorsport uh, live from France. Uh, we are a little bit earlier in the day. Still to come uh, this afternoon, we've got the first track action. Shea and Johnny will be taking you uh, through that. Let's have Johnny Palmer in, actually. He's sitting behind us. Shea, swap out with Johnny. Shea and Johnny doing the first session uh, in the booth, along with Paul Truswell, uh, a bit later on. Uh, JP has been sitting there just quietly taking it all in as JP does. Um, World Championship versus Le Mans in terms of uh, Palmer's Autos, Palmer's Motorsport, whatever it is, whatever cars you the, are. The Palmer car has a special receptacle for uh, timing sheets from 2005 from Dillington Park. Of course, of course, <laughs> of course it would have, yes. Um, so Palmer's, Palmer's Automotive, the, uh, the JP... 007, uh, <laughs> would you prefer to have the world champion constructor, WEC world championship constructor winner, Porsche, have already run that this year, and they've already got stickers for it, they've already got Weltmeister on that, which is what they used to do uh, on all of their cars, in fact my 968's got a one just above me um, rear view mirror yeah, Marken 2019 Weltmeister, 
it says. They've already got those, which is great. So is it World Championship or Le Mans for you, Jeffrey? If that's the ultimate choice, then it's got to be Le Mans because I think everyone... <laughs> People that don't have a knowledge of, of motorsport have heard of Formula One and they have heard of the Le Mans 24 hours, generally in my experience, and things like the World Endurance Championship and European Le Mans series and other vagaries of, of the ACO championships just, you know, you get into them through Le Mans, but Le Mans is the first thing that you will encounter, I think, and that's the big test. That's the true test. Even in the modern day World Endurance Championship, that's it is still the pinnacle. And it can't, I can't ever be otherwise, I would say. You are the... Uh, you are our um, WEC lead commentator so you've seen and, and talked about uh, all of the events in this season of which this is the the, fight, the season finale um, could the WEC in your mind survive if Le Mans wasn't part of the championship it was just an invitation just, just you know a wide open invitation race not necessarily everybody then from the WEC would get an invitation but it could be the Super Bowl, if you like, of of endurance racing. But but without the W without Le Mans, does the WEC have a point? Um, I think you would have to make it that if if Le Mans became an extracurricular activity, i.e. a non-championship round, you would have to say you can't get into Le Mans unless you're in the World Championship, and you just make it completely separate. But 80% of the draw to the WEC is that you race at the 24 hours of Le Mans and I don't think you would get the manufacturer and the competitor interest without that mm. so you know, where, where are you going to create an eight race season um, when you don't have Le Mans which is the big magnet for everyone I'd pay one to ELMS and and have a seven or eight race season in Europe P1 was always in ELMS historically prior to 2012 it was there I mean we had the 2011 season which was the the ILMC as it was called but prior to that 2010 it was the known as the Le Mans series and you had a double deck prototype category LMP1 and LMP2 as, as it was latterly called and a double deck GT category which was GTE and GT3s uh, and there was also there was a prototype challenge category in there mm. for the time as well which was PC. a one make PC yeah. thing for those cars built in 2009 but yeah well, if you want LMP1 back in ELMS but then do you make it regionalised then so does it become a, a European endurance championship Asian Le Mans Asian Le Mans series with yeah. Our, yeah yeah but I, you know do you do you have a world championship and then underneath it the regional categories or do you do away with the world championship which mm. would obviously help costs and it becomes the European uh, the, Europe, the European Endurance Championship, the EEC, effectively. Mm. All right. Yeah, we, we're trying to get out of that at the moment. Uh, Andrew Marriott with a little more from the pit lane. Andrew, what you got? Yeah, well, going back to the manufacturers, uh, something really I find profoundly sad. I've been up in the village. Who's got a great big stand there? Jaguar. Yeah, I know. I saw that. I mean, come on, boys. You should be racing here. Absolutely agree with that. I mean, and, that's, and the other thing that I'm very disappointed about is Jensen Button. What's he doing? Oh, I'm not coming because my girlfriend's about to have a baby. Come on, guys. <laughs> he was in Canada last week uh, oh, doing yeah, his yeah. F1 job. So, and I, I'm very disappointed about both those things. I mean, Jaguar really ought to be back here. Uh, you know, Le Mans worth 100 Formula E races promotionally. Come on. I, I spoke to Jensen about not being here um, yeah. at uh, an Easter when we were down in Bathurst when he was doing the uh, front wheel drive uh, record for Honda at, at the mountain and he's got a lot going on at home and he's away too much with Formula One 
and so he's decided to step away but he, he wants to come back and do do yeah. some more so okay. I'll, I'll give him that one Bradis who, who are you with <laughs> I've got Ollie Webb who uh I'm going to ask Ollie the question that we've all been debating. And uh, this time, Ollie Webb, who's in the uh, the Enzo, remember, the Baikolis Enzo Gibson, the number four car. Um, Ollie, we're asking ourselves, what's the more valuable? We're, we're talking about it from the perspective of a manufacturer. I'm going to talk to you about the perspective as a racing driver. Is it more valuable to win the World Endurance Championship or win the Le Mans 24 Hours? It's a simple question. Take a minute if you need it. <laughs> yeah, a simple question with probably a complicated couple of answers. <laughs> but, um, I mean, on, on paper, it should be the World Championship. But I think I can speak on behalf of most drivers. They probably prefer to have the 24 Hours of Le Mans on their CV as a win. That's what that's what I prefer to have. I mean... I'm not discrediting to the World Championship at all by by no means. In fact, more the opposite now with the way that the the race finishes as the super finale, as we call it now. Um, but this one is so special, and we have what is it? The full Formula One calendar in one race weekend in, in 24 hours, and you, that's like winning every single race in the Formula One calendar, isn't it? If you win the whole 24-hour Le Mans in that sense. So yeah, I'd pick that. I'd pick the race. And if this race was a standalone event, do you think drivers would still be attracted here? I think maybe even more so. I think if it's if it if it stood alone and didn't attach itself to a championship, it then becomes a full championship in one race. In in that respect, I think from the way I would look at it, and a bit like Macau isn't part of any other championship for Formula Three. That's the busiest and most sought-after F3 race in the whole world. And when, and when you've got it on your CV, Le Mans champion, as you've just said, Macau champion, it means a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, they always talk about every Macau race weekend people say oh this Formula 1 driver did it and this Formula 1 driver won it and, and the same thing for Le Mans um, whether it was part of a, ch a championship as good as WEC like it is or whether it was a standalone event um, no, I don't think anything would ever take from it it would only add to it were you were you uh, around in the days when this was a standalone event? Because it's quite recent that we we've created a world championship. I think you remember that. You're old enough to remember that. Remember it wasn't in it, but yeah, remember it. Um, yeah, and, and I think it, it makes it even more special because the, I mean, you get the excitement of the build-up with World Endurance. That's what's great. And and with this now being a finale to the to the year, hopefully you get the the, the car and the, or sometimes even the team being decided at Le Mans. So that adds a bit of excitement to it. But my my thoughts always been is it doesn't need anything extra okay, I'm not discrediting the way that they've changed it into a super season but it this is so special in itself that if you have a final race later on after Le Mans anyway you get to celebrate the Le Mans champion and then you get to make the last race of a normal championship exciting anyway so uh, now we just get best of both I guess so it's gonna be a really really exciting Le Mans yeah we're getting very greedy aren't we <laughs> thanks Ollie great great perspective there and, and very valuable insight there as to the driver's perspective I think mm. and I think I don't need to ask any any more drivers that I think I'm gonna get the same answer to be honest yeah very good very very good I like the uh, I like the analogy there JP with Macau uh, or mm. you know the, the old masters or, or whatever that it's an interesting one but yeah. it, it's slightly different isn't it because those are championships f3 f2 whatever those are championships that have their own identity um as a global formula whereas sports car racing it really is all about Le Mans, isn't it yes I, I mean there are other 24-hour races and they have recently become part of championships and they weren't always True. spa 24 i'm thinking i don't think that was always part of a championship it was a standalone well, event it was a touring car race to start with as well not a gt yeah, race yeah okay um and there are other um, endurance races of particular tracks that go but that stretch back many, many years. I, 
don't think there's any question about the history of Le Mans as a standalone event. And we, I think it's fair to say we're not always going to have a World Endurance Championship because this thing only started in 2012. So it's, it's only seven years old as it is. Um, but the, the race will just carry on. So it doesn't really matter about the, the long-term future of the WEC. If we're fearful of the future of Le Mans 24 hours, then forget it because it, it'll just it'll just exist. It just is. You know? I wonder if the regional way is the way forward. We've seen what's happened in IMSA. They've developed a, a smashing 10 race season, albeit on one continent effectively, but it's a big continent. But if the World Championship didn't exist, you could add a couple of events to the Asian Le Mans series to bring them in and you could potentially add a couple of events to the European Le Mans series to bring that in. It, it might work. Uh, Trusses is, uh, is standing here, just uh, still working out the vagaries of the travelling walking data centre. Your thoughts on this? There's one thing which I think caused a huge problem, and I kind of thought thought it to myself at the time, but nobody worried about it. When the ACO and the FIA combined together to form this FIA ACO and the Le Mans Endurance Management Company, there was a marriage made, Mm -hmm. and it was a marriage that until death us do part, they can't be split. As long as they are together, the FIA and the ACO, as long as they're together, they can't pull, the ACO can't pull Le Mans out of the World Championship because it's it's the ACO's ball for Le Mans 24 hours. The FIA's ball is the World Championship. And the trouble is that they because they've become together, they can't split them apart. And it's only going to be the death of one or the other or a messy divorce, which is going to enable the ACO to extract itself from it and say, do you know what? We're not going to play with your world championship. And those with long memories will remember you were talking about it. It hasn't always been. No, us. hasn't. Um, and then you can quite easily have a Le Mans 24 hour race, which has classes for. I don't know, Japanese Super GTs or uh, DPIs or... Um, it could be, it could back to being specials. a 62-car race where everyone's an invited entrant and nobody qualifies to get in there because, because there's no not, need to do that. Because it's not part of the World Championship, exactly. who cares? And people will come and watch it, and as Joe and everybody else has been saying, it is still the Le Mans 24 hours, and then if the World Championship decides that they want to be part of it, then they can be part of it. But at the moment, we've got... The, the horse and the cart the wrong way around because we've got the world championship saying what it is and it i'm afraid is only the cart the horse is le mans 24 hours and i, and I think that that's perfectly explained um because whatever i've said right the way through this paul and you and i have had this discussion at many <laughs> many periods over, over many, many glasses dinners. of red <laughs> yes of many dinners in in paddocks around the world um there will always be a Le Mans. And whatever happens with LMP uh, 2020 uh, regulations, whether it's any of the uh, options that we've been talking about or whether it's none of them, Le Mans will still be Le Mans. And it, 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 Le Mans is not going to stop. It's not going to, you know, 2019 is... He's not the he's not the last Le Mans. 2021, 2020 isn't the last Le Mans. 2021 will be the last Le Mans. It'll keep well, going. My 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 deepest fear is that at some point 
um, Le Mans will be devalued because it has to follow that world championship. Correct. If that world championship gets itself into a mess and if the this divorce, whatever it is I'm trying to describe, can't be arranged, then... Le Mans will have to go down whatever the World Championship does. And if the World Championship gets itself into a mess, then that devalues what Le Mans is. And and that's my biggest fear because Le Mans is an important race. And if you win Le Mans, to me, you're, you know, that's an important thing to have on the back of your car, uh, on engraved on the trophy, however you want to describe it. It's an important yeah, thing. Yeah, handprints down in town. Indianapolis 500 going through the same conversations at the moment, interestingly yeah, yeah. enough. Andrew Marriott, a, a final point from you down in the pit lane, where the sun has come out, by the way. It has. Here's a very personal how important Le Mans is. The first time I took my wife out, we got on very well, and we talked about a second date. Well, our first date was in early June, and we talked about a second date, and she said, well, what about uh, whatever it was, the 14th of June? And she remembers, she said, oh, I can't go do that, it's Le Mans. And she knew exactly what Le Mans was. was. She wasn't a motor racing fan. She knew what Le Mans was, and she knew it was important. <laughs> Just a little personal tale. And she still went out for you on a second date at uh, another time. Yeah, but it was after Le Mans. After Le Mans, yeah. Yeah, but she knew who'd won it then. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why she was a keeper. Uh, Joe Bradley, final thoughts from you from down in the pit lane. Well, the sun's come out. I'm not sure how long it's due to stay out. It's kind of been a, an afternoon of two skies. At one point, I looked to pit out, and the, and the sky was absolutely black. And literally, I turned directly to my left to pit in, and it was blue skies and cloudy. And I thought, what's going on here? Well, it's sun, the sun shining. There's a lot of activity now in the garages, more activity than we've seen all afternoon, and that's because we're getting down to just being an hour away before mm. we first seen some track activity. So we've got drivers and uh, drivers even appearing and practicing their uh, their driver changes as well as the cars being readied. It's uh, fantastic down here. Thanks, Joe. Uh, Joe Bradley and Andrew Marriott in the pit lane for us here at Le Mans. Paul, a, a thought from you looking forward uh, in... A sentence or two, first four hours tonight, this is the only practice session. It's not qualifying, it's practice. What will we see? We'll see a bit of what happened on test day. We'll see the track trying to be a racetrack rather than being partially a road and partially um, having just been deluged upon and all the detritus that you get on the track so the first 20 minutes will be rubbish because it'll all be just people going out and uh, getting themselves into the groove um picking up on what joe was saying about the weather the forecast i was looking at this morning suggested that uh, after six o'clock this evening we're not gonna have any more rain um and it could actually be dry um from sort of from six o'clock onwards uh, not for the rest of the week but at least for today um so uh, we'll have a damp track for free practice as well, which might discourage a lot of teams from going out, mm. having been here for Test Weekend. Um, the forecast for the weekend itself, for Saturday and Sunday, isn't too bad either. So I think free practice might be a bit of a, pardon the pun, damp squib. Uh, Johnny Palmer, you will be calling uh, free practice with uh, Cher Adam. You ready to go? You've done all your research? Doing half of it, certainly. Uh, I'm here till six o'clock, I think. Um, the, then am I working? I think you've got two hours scheduled in, yes. Oh, really? Yeah, I better go and get something to eat, then I've had nothing since there. breakfast. Um, I, yeah, I, I enjoyed test day. Um, there were there were peaks and troughs, I suppose, and it, the key is not missing them, because you can have a good 15 minutes of just people hauling round, getting mileage, and then all of a sudden they decide to go for a quick lap, and that's what the Toyotas did just before lunch and just after lunch a couple of Sundays back. 
um, and it tends to happen when you least expect it. So uh, make sure you stay with us for the duration because I think Paul's right. The track will get. Uh, it'll take. I think it's going to take a little longer than 20 minutes to get clean because of the recent rain and also. Um, the rain might have helped out. Oh yeah, actually, because the, the road through. only closed closes at uh, three o'clock. Yeah, good point. And. It's the link road. I mean, you've got the public section, which is Mulsanne, and then that one from Mulsanne down to Indianapolis. But the, the linky bits, like the Porsche Curves and the run into Tete Rouge, are the grey area for me, mm. um, away from the Bugatti circuit. But it's going to be fun, and it'll give us an indication as, as to how the quality sessions will pan out. Thanks. It'll be Johnny and Shea coming up uh, for that. Uh, before that, uh, we'll be looking at Dunlop Logistics with their tyres. And coming up next, it's a special programme on the Le Mans 24 Rookies. Thanks for being with us here on Midweek Motorsport 91.2 and around the world on RS1, Mobile One, Radio Le Mans. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.